You're listening to Connection Church's podcast. Good morning, church. How's everybody doing? Good, 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 good. You miss me? You did not. Cody did a good job. You didn't miss me. In fact, one of y'all told me that I could leave now after Cody preached. You said, you're free to go. I don't appreciate that. Where's she at? I don't see her. All right. Well, anyway, I'm glad to be back. Whether you're glad to have me back or not, I'm glad to be back. And uh, man, I'm excited about today. Um, uh, We are going to finish up this series called Game Time today. Um, And we've been looking at how Jesus is the greatest prize. And that there are many ways that we oftentimes try to find satisfaction in our lives. We think we may have found the prize, but ultimately it's God and God alone who is able to satisfy our lives um, consistently and uh, with the full satisfaction that he created in our hearts uh, to be fulfilled. And uh, so anyway, we're going to finish that up. uh, But before we do, I do want to say this just to to echo the announcements and a lot of what you've already heard today. Um, If you're not in a connect group, take the time to go back today after the service and meet some people who um, are heading up these connect groups and and get in a connect group. Um, I'm in a connect group on Mondays. Um, I believe that it is the best connect group ever. I've been in a lot of good connect groups. Of course, the one that you're currently in is the best connect group ever. But we are, we have a great group, man. And we are probably the most jacked up connect group ever. We should change the shirt on our, uh, for us. But it's a very good group, man. it's, It's doing life together. We can't do life alone. And it's walking with people. Um, as they uh, pursue Jesus. And we all need that. So I'd encourage you to get involved with one. Um, I I do believe that it'll change your life. Uh, Today, if you have your Bibles, you can go and turn to Jeremiah chapter 2. I'm a little nervous today, more so than even usual. Um, And one of the reasons is because I had a message out of John chapter 8. Some of you may be thinking, I thought we were going through the Gospel of John. We have been. I had a message on John chapter 8, and uh, this morning at about 6.30, I felt like the Lord uh, challenged me to preach out of Jeremiah chapter 2. And so I turned there um, as I was about to open up my notes to begin looking over those uh, before the 9 o'clock service. I felt like God really put in my heart, are you going to trust in what you've got written down, or are you going to trust in me? And so I felt led to go to Jeremiah 2, I opened it up, the Lord began to speak to my heart, and uh, I felt like it was something that... I was supposed to share with you. And so um, if it's a train wreck, it's a train wreck, and sorry, but I, I want to be obedient to what God's put in my heart. Um, I'm, I'm pretty nervous not only because of that, but, but honestly, I feel like it's a word from God. I feel like it is for today, for us, right now. Um, I don't want to throw the God card out there. I don't play that card. Um, I sincerely believe this. I had no idea until after the nine o'clock service that last week, uh, Cody, finished his message by reading Jeremiah 2.13. And then this morning I end up in Jeremiah chapter two, and uh, I think it's a continuation of, of God speaking to us. And so my prayer is that our hearts would be open and attentive to hear what God says. And my prayer is that I'd simply be a vessel to be able to communicate what God's saying to us this morning. That's what um, a prophet, a messenger does is communicates the message. So um, my prayer is that that would be able to happen. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Jeremiah chapter two. We're gonna read the first two verses and then I wanna pray for us and then we'll get going. I do wanna say, uh, this is pro- we're probably not gonna leave here with pom-poms necessarily today. Um, I feel like God is really challenging us as a church right now uh, to be pers- in pursuit of him. And so this challenged me so much this morning My prayer is it'll challenge you in the same way. So Jeremiah 2, 1 through 2, it says, The word of the Lord came to me. Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me and followed me through the desert, through a land not sown. So let's pray. God, I thank you for today. I thank you for life and life that comes through the hearing of your word. Let it sink deep into our hearts. Let it change us at the core of our being. Do only what you can do, God. God, a good message doesn't change hearts, but the power of your spirit does. And so I ask that you would move now through what is said. Let my words be your words, God. Guard my tongue that nothing that's not from your heart would be said. And let me communicate this to these folks, God. We love you and we thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, when I was 
In middle school, high school, um, probably like many of you, it was a season where there were some things that I was doing or had to do that that, uh, I dreaded. Uh, One of those was homework, of course, uh, but that turned out to be beneficial in the long run. Another one was when I played football. Um, I loved the games, but hated football practice. And if you've ever played football, many of you probably feel the same way. In fact, if you loved football practice, I don't understand that. That's weird. But um, anyway, one of the things I would always dreaded was going to football practice. In fact, as a seventh grader, we would practice up with our varsity uh, uh, teammates, and and it was a very difficult thing for us, especially um, with us being so small, not able to run as fast. It was just very difficult. And so I used to dread those practices like nothing else. In fact, I can remember um, going to uh, practice and sitting in my mom's car as she was dropping me off for our summer practices and literally sitting there with tears coming down my face going, I don't want to go, mama. I don't want to go. And then my mom would be like, you know, the merciful one. My dad would have just been like, yeah, the car, son. You know, and, and my mom's like, well, you don't have to go, son. You don't have to go. I'm like, I got to go, mom. I got to go. And so um, I, I went. And, and, and the thing that that taught me was I could always take one more step, even when I thought I couldn't. It was something that I learned perseverance. I learned to be able to stick it out. I learned to be able to walk through difficult things. And even when I thought I couldn't take another step, I was always able to take one more step. And so I learned some good things. And many times the things we dread, the difficult times of our lives, the difficult teachings, the difficult lessons that we learn become some of the most valuable. Now I tell you that to say this, that I hope and my prayer is that for you, like it was for me, this message would be something that's not necessarily an easy teaching. It's not necessarily something that that feels good, but that when it's over, it has great uh, benefit in our life, right? Many times, um, the correction we need and the things that God puts in his word and the things that that we hear um, from God may not always feel good, but in the end, his disciplining, his um, teaching is beneficial for our lives and for our spirit and for our soul. And so that's my prayer for you today. Um, God kind of kicked me in the gut uh, a little bit in a nice spiritual way um, this morning. And so I figured, why not pass that along, right? Um, I needed to hear this. I thought maybe somebody else needs to hear this as well. And as you look at these first two verses, um, God comes out of the chute speaking through Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is prophesying to a people. He's speaking the message of God to a people who've been rebellious against God, um, who worshiped other other small G gods rather than the big G God, the one true God, and he's speaking to these people and telling them about impending doom that is coming. He's telling them that the Babylonians are about to come in. They're, they're, they're coming. They're going to take, and, and Jeremiah prophesied during this season where this kingdom of Babylon came in and took uh, the Israelites captive, took them back to Babylon, and even prophesied on as the captivity took place. And so he's speaking to these people. And the first thing that God tells Jeremiah to tell them, he says, go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, I remember the devotion of your youth. How as a bride you loved me and followed me through the desert, through a land not sown. Many of you have had this experience where you meet someone, um, you fall into, I guess, that puppy love stage where you can't get enough of them um, and, and you just have this great love, this, this infatuation for each other. Um, basically, uh, what you see is that you are so, you can't even be separated, like you don't even want anybody to sit between you, right? You want to be that close to each other. But then many times, as time goes by, we see this separation separation beginning to happen. We see it happen in marriages. I'm, I often challenge myself and ask myself, do I pursue Susan now um, the way I did when I was trying to win her heart? Many times we just get to the point where we sort of just become uh, uh, almost uh, bored with the same old, same old. Things that used to attract us to that person can then begin to get on our nerves. Things like breathing and stuff like that, that is typically something that, that is necessary, but it starts to get on your nerves. And the thing that I realize in that is for us with relationships, the tendency is not to just grow closer together. The tendency after a period of time is that we would begin to grow further apart. That's basically what God is telling the Israelites in this passage. He's basically saying, listen to me, here's the reality. I used to have your heart when when this thing was new and it was fresh. I had your heart and now you've turned away. Um, You've gone and, and, and I've taken care of you even. I took you through 
would land the, the desert and you didn't need anything. I took you through different times of your life when it could have been a struggle and it could have been hard and you didn't need anything. And, and, and yet now you've turned your way from me. You've lost your first love is how John would say it in the book of Revelation. You've lost the first love that you had. And I realized that here today are represented many people who fall into one of two categories. One of them is this, that there was a time in your life that your heart was set on fire for God and that it burned passionately and brightly, but you've forsaken your first love, the love of God, the love that God had given you and the love you had for him and the relationship has drifted apart. And there are people who need to come back to that relationship. They need to come back to this place where our hearts burn with passion for God. Um, And see, here's how that happens is we get closer to the fire. The way we stay on fire, the way we stay warm is that we get close to the fire, God, and he keeps our hearts burning. I even hear people a lot of times, they'll say, well, you know, you're a new Christian and, and you won't always be this passionate because this is just kind of a new thing. And my, why? why? Like it's the God of the universe, right? That we're close to, it's the God of the universe we have a relationship with. Why shouldn't we be passionate about that God? Why should we lose our passion? It's not that God uh, ceases to set our heart on fire. It's not that we become bored with his attributes because he's constantly showing us new things. It's that without intentionality, we begin to drift away from God. And this is Jeremiah's call. This is God's call back to these people saying, why have you forsaken me? Why have you walked away from me? So there's one group of people here today um, that's turned away from their first love. I've known people who I've watched go on fire for God and then they just begin to take one step away, one step away from God. And rather than this this relationship staying on fire, it becomes just an ember at best. And many times it seems as if it's dead and cold. So I'm asking you, do you fall into that category? The other one is this, that it's always been cold for you, right? Uh, That that, that there's this, this group of people who maybe all that, that Christianity, all that Jesus has ever been for you uh, was just a dead, cold religion. And so everything you've known and everything you've done, you've been around the people of God, you've been in the presence of God, and yet God's never been in you, right? God's never, you've never said yes to that relationship to him as Lord and Savior of your life. You've never come to this place where God set your heart on fire. And here's the thing I can tell you, if your heart's never been set on fire for God, then that tells me that we haven't tasted the goodness of God, and that tells me that we've never really met God. I don't say that to be ugly, I'm just telling you the truth. How could we meet the God of the universe, the God of the universe come to dwell inside of us, and yet we've never had any passion for God? It just doesn't happen. And so the reality is we need to see this from one of two places, that God is saying, return to me, come to me, maybe for the first time, or return to me, come back to me. And God's teaching us, he's warning us, he's longing, listen, God desires a relationship that ought to blow our minds that he wants to know us. Verse three, he says, Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who devoured her were held guilty and disaster overtook them, declares the Lord. God is telling them, listen, in this relationship that I've called you to, this relationship I've initiated with you, you have a purpose. You are holy, meaning not that they were perfect, that they were, they were just like God, but by faith, God was making them like himself. By faith, he had set them apart to do a greater work. By faith, he was going to use the Israelites to do what he had planned to do from the very beginning, as we read in Genesis, that his glory was going to spread throughout the world, that the whole earth would be full of his glory, that that every person, every being would declare his glory. And God's desire was that these people, the Israelites, would be his set apart people to bring him glory. That they would be the first fruits of the harvest. They were just the first ones of many more to come. And so God wants us to see this, that this plan, this purpose hasn't changed. He still wants us to understand that he wants to use us. Listen, if you claim the name of Christ, Christ is in you, the spirit of God lives in you, then you have a greater purpose than getting up in the morning and just sucking in oxygen all day. You have a purpose for the kingdom. You have a purpose to spread his glory. He wants to use you to be a person who spreads his glory as part of a community called the church throughout the world. You've got a greater purpose. Many of us don't feel worthy of being used by God. But listen, the fact is none of us are worthy except for the fact that God chose us and made us worthy through Jesus. I don't, I'm not worthy of standing up here today. 
If it was up to me and my own ability and my own perfection, I fall way, way short. But the perfection of Jesus upon my life, his holiness given to me simply by faith in him changes our hearts. He begins to use us in a way that we've never been used and he begins to shape us into the identity that he's already given us. And so we come to this place where we realize God has a greater purpose. God has a greater design. And he says, all who devoured her were held guilty and disaster overtook them. In other words, he's saying, don't you realize I've had your back through it all? Don't you realize I've been with you through it all? I've been through a a pretty crazy season myself, me and my family, uh, just different things going on. And I can tell you every time I've prayed and I've asked God, God, would you do this? God, would you do that? God, would you take care of this? God, would you see about this? God, please, would you do this? The same thing God keeps speaking to me over and over again. In fact, he did it backstage just a minute ago is that I'm with you in this. It's like, I got your back. I don't always do everything you want me to do, but understand I do what's best for you and I'm with you no matter where you go or what happens. He says, I've got you. It's almost like for me and my children, one of my sons came home the other day and told me that a a boy almost uh, got in a fight with him and the boy wanted to hit him and it was over something crazy. The first initial thing is I can't hit the boy, where's his daddy, right? Because that's my son, right? And and I'm like, nobody messes with my boy. And that's what we have to understand is that God cares deeply for us. If we are in Christ, we have become his adopted sons, his adopted daughters, and he cares for us and he loves us. But why are we turning from him to other things? Listen to verse four. He says, hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, all you clans of the house of Israel. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your fathers find in me? that they strayed so far from me. They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. In other words, God's asking them this question, what did I do that would make you turn away from me? How did I harm you? He said, look at the blessings around you. Look at the fact that the sun comes up every morning. Look at the fact you've never wondered, will I have breath? Look at the fact that he's taking care of you. Look at all the blessings, the blessing of Christ, the blessing of the cross, the blessing of the Holy Spirit. He's saying, what have I ever done that would make you turn away from me? I've been there through thick and thin. I've had your back. I've brought you through your own desert seasons. I've brought you through your own wilderness seasons and I've walked with you the whole way. And he's saying, what did I do? that you would turn, and he even says turn to worthless idols that make us worthless. Not that it makes us worthless if we're in Christ, that God no longer loves us, no, no, no. Not that, but it it takes our purpose away. See, we can't be worshiping something else and fulfilling the purpose of God. Worship is not a few songs that we stick our hands in our pockets in for Sunday morning waiting on the message. Worship is the way we live our lives as living sacrifices for God so that people look at our lives and they see the glory of God. Are we perfect at it? No, but one of the ways that they see the glory is in our repentance and our coming back to God. So it's not a perfect life, nobody can do that, but it is a life that's directed and bent towards God, that's following God. And it's not a life that attaches itself to every other little thing that comes along trying to find satisfaction in it. If you're a country person, you know um, all about like fishing and, and you know about uh, probably about a lot about crickets. Like anybody ever fish with crickets? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You go and what do you do if you, if you go fishing and you don't have enough uh, uh, or you don't use up all your crickets? That night you go home and you'll know this because we're in South Georgia. You cut a potato, right? And you put it down in the cricket box, right? Anybody? Yeah, yeah. Why? Because the crickets, they suck out the nutrients and they, they get their uh, nutrients from those potatoes. They suck it out. And see, here's the thing though. If that's not replaced, if that's not replenished, then what begins to happen is those potatoes begin to dry up and they lose their nutrients. See, here's what happens to us. We're constantly looking for some kind of potato, something in our lives that would satisfy us. We suck it dry and then we go to the next thing. And many of us are dying. And as Cody talked about last week, from what I understand, 
understand is that we need that living water. We need the spirit of God in our lives. We need to know him. We need to walk with him. But he's the only one who can continually satisfy. We weren't designed to be scourging around like people looking for bread in the carpet. We were designed to feast with the heavenly father at his banquet so that we could be nourished and strengthened and spread his glory throughout the world. You aren't called to be a scavenger, but you are called to seek the one who can supply every need that you have. And so we need to see this and we can say this, we can even look at it and go, well, well, I don't have idols. I don't have idols in my life. And last week we were in Minneapolis. That's where we were at. I didn't realize Minneapolis is one of the most diverse cities in the world. I know it is, or in the United States. I know it is now because we saw all kinds of different faiths and different religions and we went to study different faiths and religions. That's what we went to do. I got to talk to Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus. I got to talk to converted animists, people who worship these different spirits and things. And and it was a a fascinating weekend, had some great conversations. It was really cool. One of the places we went was a Hindu temple. And we went into this Hindu temple and we got to meet a man. It was an awesome guy. Um, I'll pray for him probably every day for the rest of my life just because he touched my heart. Um, I'm praying that, that he would... Uh, come to conversion. I pray he would meet Jesus, a man, and his name was Dr. Mohan. Dr. Mohan was a little Indian man, and, and he uh, was the most humble guy. He was so awesome. He, he answered all of our questions. Um, he asked us some questions, and we got to have a great time. One of the things he did, he was our tour guide. He took us through the temple, and we went up into the temple, and we actually got to see where they had 21 huge statues dedicated to 21 of their 330 million gods. And Dr. Mohan was telling us about it, and he starts laughing at one point. He's like, I don't even know that I believe this. I want to believe it, but I don't know if I believe it. And he he was telling us about them, and we watched as they would carry these statues, their gods, on their shoulders on two-by-fours. And we watched them as they would worship these gods, offering fruit and offering incense to these gods. And if they needed prosperity, they went to the prosperity God. If they needed a, a, a harvest, they would go to the harvest God. We actually watched the harvest God get married um, to a goddess while we were there. Two, two statues that got married. It was pretty wild. And, and here's the thing, people. The giver of prosperity, the giver of the harvest is not carried around on two by fours. The giver of the harvest and the giver of our blessings is given by the creator. And as I looked at this, I started thinking, certainly we don't look like this, but I would say that in our culture, uh, many of us, we, we have more than 330 million gods. And we would say, well, I don't have a statue. I don't have a trinket. I don't have anything like that I worship. But see, an idol is anything that takes the worship, takes our devotion away from God and puts it on that thing. And so we can think like that, but listen, there's many idols in our lives. For example, listen, and I'm going to watch it. I'm not judging, but, but hello, there's this, this thing called the Super Bowl that's coming up. I don't know if you've heard of it, right? And we will worship a, 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 a pig filled with air, right? And grown men running around in tight pants. That's just gross, and we, we make it this thing. We won't lift our hands to God, but we'll celebrate a touchdown. We'll jump up and down for that team. And we don't, listen, it might not even be our favorite team, but we'll watch and we'll be glued. We'll be glued on Katy Perry. Our eyes will be fixed on her. But maybe some of our problem as a country and as a people, and I'm speaking to me myself as well, maybe we fixed our eyes on the wrong one because the Bible says to fix our eyes on the perfecter of our faith, the author and the perfecter. Maybe the reason we stumble so much in the race is because our eyes are on the wrong person. Maybe our eyes are on ourselves too much. And so these idols, they're in our lives. Listen, Little League Baseball, hello. There are a bunch of you gonna be missing church and you're gonna be going and doing everything with Little League Baseball. And listen, I love Little League Baseball. People are crazy, but I love Little League Baseball. I love it, I love it. But listen, it's a blessing of God that we get to do those things, but the worship doesn't stop with the blessing. The blessing causes us to worship the giver of the blessing. The problem with people throughout history is they've stopped and they worship the creation rather than the creator. Every good thing in our lives comes from the giver, from heaven, the, the God of heaven who gives them. 
And those things that are blessings in our lives shouldn't stop and become the source of our worship, our home, our job, our 401k, our savings. All of those things shouldn't become the point of our worship. Some of y'all are like me, you're like, what's that, right? A 401k and a savings. But, but the reality is my 401k is called three kids, you know? But the reality is those things aren't bad things. Those things are things that God blesses us with, but it's got to be kept in proper perspective. Ultimately, he gave them. Ultimately, they're his. And ultimately, they should cause us to worship him, not the creation. And so we have to see this. And many of us, our hearts have been taken away. Many of us worship our own image, what we look like. We spend all our time trying to impress people with how we look. Or do we have the right thing rather than the one who knows you're messed up, who knows your imperfections, who knows your personality and, and has accepted you anyway through Christ? We can live for that person, that God, him. And he says, so why have you strayed? What have I done? Why did you turn to these idols? Why are you forsaking me? Verse six, he says, though they did not ask, where is the Lord who brought us up out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness? Through a land of deserts and rifts, a land of drought and darkness, a land where no one travels and no one lives. He's saying they didn't even seek the one who brought them through all of this stuff. They didn't seek the one who had brought them through, the one who never left their side. They didn't seek him. He says, I brought you through into a fertile land to eat its fruit and rich produce. But you came and defiled my land and made my inheritance detestable. He's saying, not only did you begin to worship the blessing, but you even perverted the blessing. So it's no longer something that brings me glory. It's something that now has become detestable. And you made my name detestable. What he's saying is, listen, don't take the blessing and pervert it. Don't begin to worship the blessing because the blessing can't sustain you. The blessing runs out, but see, God, the God of everything, never runs dry. He's always able to pour in more of his blessing, more of his spirit. See, the blessing of God is his power and his presence and his purpose in our lives. And he pours more and more and more in. He's the only one that we never run dry when we drink from his living water. And yet our eyes get fixed on so many different things, so many different idols, so many different things that can never satisfy us. He says this, he says, the priest did not ask, where is the Lord? Those who deal with the law did not know me. The leaders rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal, following worthless idols. When I read this this morning, it pierced my heart because I realized this is the same indictment on the church today that God was saying about the leaders of his time. And it really challenged me to ask the question of who are we trusting in to grow and to build the kingdom of God? As I'm sitting there and it's 6.30 and I feel like God wants me to preach out of Jeremiah 2 when I've worked all week on a message because we're in a series going through the book of John and we're looking at all these things. Am I going to trust in my strategy? Am I going to trust in my preparation? Or am I going to trust in doing what God tells me to do? As churches, what do we do? Are we, are we a church that way? That our model of ministry is to listen to God and do what he says. When we stand up and we proclaim the message for that week, are we speaking the word of God or are we speaking somebody else's word? Is it just something we read this week or is it something that came out of God's word? Are we teaching more about C.S. Lewis and about things that really don't matter or are we teaching about Jesus, the God man who came and gave his life as a ransom so that we could have life? And as a church, it's a challenge. To see, are we leading by the Spirit? Are, are, listen, are our leaders, and, and this is the thing, if, if we're not doing this, you need to find somebody who is because you need to be led by people who are listening to the Spirit and doing what the Spirit says. And that's how you ought to live your life as well. The best model for ministry and the best model for life is to listen to God and do what He says. You can read all the books and all the self-help books you want. The best thing to do is to read His book and to do what He tells you to do. Ministry would be easy if everybody just did what the Bible says, right? Be out of a job. Be like, well, no reason for you to be here anymore. And the reality is, people, listen, that's the best way to live. That's the best ministry model. It's the best model for life. Listen to God. Do what he says. Verse 9. He says, therefore, I bring charges against you again, declares the Lord. And listen to this. This, this is huge. Again, this, this hits me 
square between the eyes, and I will bring charges against your children's children. And I read that and I wonder, is God like an unjust God who, who just because I've done something is gonna punish my children? I don't believe that's what the Bible's saying. I believe what the Bible's saying is the things that I do, my children are gonna practice. I believe that God wants me to see and wants me to understand that my pursuit of God is gonna shape how my children see God. My pursuit of God is modeling for them how they pursue God. If all I want for my children to do is attend a church service for an hour and 15 minutes a week and then live like hell the rest of the week, then that's how I should live. But if I want them to see the reality of a God who gives grace to those who, who, who have sinned, who gives mercy to those who have been judged and, that pers- and then see me pursuing him, then I better be pursuing him. That's, that's the model I had better set for him. And my question is this, listen, if people are following your leadership, parents, if your children are following your leadership, is the way you're seeking God leading them closer to him or is it leading them away from them? Because it's a direction of life. We can't go both ways. Sometimes we underestimate sin. We don't realize what sin really is. Sin is a direction. It's a way of going. We can either be pursuing sin or we can pursue God, but you can't do both at the same time. And see, in repentance, we talk about repentance being turning from sin and turning to God. But see, who you turn to is more important than even what you turn from. Jesus took care of what you turn from on the cross. The thing is, who are you turning to? Are you turning to someone else that can't satisfy, who can't be that consistent provision that you need? Are you turning to God, the one who can satisfy? See, if you're going to have something to satisfy you consistently and bring you contentment, then it has to be three things. One is it has to be eternal because you were created eternal. There is eternity has been set in your heart. So the Bible tells us God put it there. We know that our soul goes on long after we die. We can't deny that. If you deny that, you need to really seek inside your heart because you know there's something more than 60, 70 years, 80 years on this earth. There's something bigger. And so we need to see that if it's going to be a consistent contentment and fulfillment, it's got to be eternal. It has to be eternal on in through the ages. The other thing, is that it can't be changed. It can't change because if it changes, it always may be one day that, 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 that it satisfies and then later on, it no longer satisfies. Why? Because it changed, right? But God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he's eternal. So it has to be eternal. It can't change and it has to be able to satisfy. If it doesn't bring satisfaction, then eternity is no, it doesn't matter. So if that's the case, then there's only one who can do that and that is God himself. So why do we spend all this time seeking after other things that maybe they satisfy for a short period of time, but we're constantly looking for the next potato? That might be a stupid illustration, but that's the best I could come up with. And so we constantly are looking See, listen, sometimes we put our, our satisfaction, our fulfillment in somebody, right? Uh, but, but think about how that works. See, when Susan and I dated, I thought she was over there somewhere. She probably left. But, but when, when we dated in college, like I was only probably missing a couple of large French fries from having abs, right? Now I'm like four gallons of butter pecan, you know, I'm, I'm about a 50-gallon drum of French fries. You know, things change over time. If she was going to look at me for her fulfillment, like I've changed, right? And so I, I, we can't look to things. That brand new car that you've lusted after and wanted so badly, guess what? Right now you won't allow a spot on it. In a few weeks, you'll have, that, you'll have Coke that's been spilled down in the ashtray so you can't even get the Coke can out. You don't even care anymore. Why? Because it's lost its glimmer. It's lost its, its, its glory. See, God's glory never fades and it never fails. And there's always something more to God that he's teaching us and showing us. But we can't go after these idols seeking to go after them and, and to somehow think that they're going to be appeasing and appealing and, 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 and somehow fulfilling. And we can't think that somehow our children are accidentally going to know the reality of God. Verse 10, he says, cross over to the coast of Kittim. Y'all don't know either. And look, send to Kedar and observe closely. Why couldn't they just have like portal? 
you know, Brooklet, it would have been much easier. See if there's ever been anything like this. Has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet they are not gods at all, but my people have exchanged their glory, meaning God, for worthless idols. He's saying, listen, even go to the idol-worshiping nations around you. They, they haven't even turned from their gods. They're still worshiping the same gods. How is it that you've turned from the one true God who's met every need that you've ever had? That's convicting for me. Sometimes God's so good that we take his goodness for granted and we turn away from him. Sometimes we underestimate his goodness and we think that maybe my sin really isn't that bad. But just because our sin and just because uh, it's, it's justifiable socially doesn't mean it's justified before God. And so we have to come to a place where we realize that, that we've turned away from the one who's made the greatest provision for us by giving his son, by taking our sin, by taking the punishment that we deserve, by taking our wrath. And so we come to this place where that actually should bring worship because we realize our own shortcomings. We realize our faults. They, uh, my oldest son, he had uh, a friend spend the night with him last night. In fact, I think they're here, but I'm not going to look because I want to embarrass them anymore. But, but I thought, you know what? I was having to get on to my children so much. I, I was like, he probably thinks this is the worst household in the world. And I'm like, what? but the reality of it is that they need to see us uh, as as following and pursuing God. They need to know that even in the midst of discipline that we love them. They need to know that, that we're doing our best. And even for my children, many times it's the repentance that they see that I think makes the greatest impact. Has a nation ever changed its God? And yet we have many times exchanged the glory of God for a lie, for worthless idols. Verse 12 says, be appalled at this, O heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. Be appalled at this, O heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. He's saying, you've turned to these idols. This should make you shudder. This should scare you. This should be, this should be an alarming thing that when you realize this, you turn back to God. When you realize this, you come back to him. I was listening to a message on the way to town this morning, a podcast, and I heard the pastor say that uh, Jimmy Buffett not too long ago gave uh, 40, or Warren Buffett, I'm sorry, gave 44 of his 44 billion, Jimmy Buffett would have given something completely different. <laughs> Warren Buffett gave 85% of his $44 billion to charity. We didn't get any of that, but they asked him like, why did you do this? And his answer was, there are many ways to heaven. This is just one of them. And he's basically saying, because I gave this money, God is going to accept me. And it made me shudder because I realized that God is not a prostitute, that he should be bought. That we give him a little something and then he accepts us that way. No, 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 no. God, the only thing that God took as ransom for our sin, as payment for our sin, was the blood and the death of his own son. So he gave him. He gave himself to take our wrath so that we wouldn't have to endure it. It was the just way for God to justify sinners. And so he did that for us, but we lose sight of the awe of God. See, here's the thing. If our love for God has grown cold, then here's the reason why it's grown cold. We've forgotten what God's done for us. See, for our love for God to grow cold, it means at one point it had to be hot, but somehow we forgot the gospel that even though God was up here and we were down here, God came to us. When we were sitting and eating lunch at the Hindu temple, um, I was talking with Dr. Mohan, he was sitting with us kind of in the middle of all of us, and we were asking him questions, he was asking us questions, just having a, a really awesome time. Um, and, and as he was talking, um, he was talking about Hinduism and, and just his beliefs, and we, we would tell him a little bit about Christianity and what we believed and why. And finally I said, Dr. Mohan, I said, can I tell you why I love this God of Christianity so much? And he said, yeah, of course. I took a cup, we had a little plastic cup, we'd been drinking water out of it, it was empty, and I flipped it over upside down. 
I said, every other religion tells us that God's at the top of this spiritual mountain, that he's up here somehow above us and that we're down here and that our job is to somehow work our way up to God. It's all religion of merit. It's all religion of works. It's all making yourself like God. If you can live perfect enough, then you can escape the cycle of life and death. If you can live perfect enough and do more good than bad, then somehow you can uh, reach paradise. And I said, but here's the thing and here's the difference with Christianity. I said, in Christianity, God is up here, yes, and we're down here, yes, but God left here and came here so that he could take us back with him. That's the God of Christianity. And the way our love grows cold is we forget how big that gap is that God bridged. We forget how big it is and what it took for, for God to bridge that gap. It took Christ, it took Jesus, it took the cross. And see, the good news is that the cross is, cross is greater than our sins. God's grace is greater than our condemnation. God's mercy is greater than the judgment that we deserve because he poured out his wrath on Jesus. And we should be in awe of that gospel and the way our hearts grow cold as we take our eyes off of him. We should almost in reverent uh, awe of God shudder at the thought of standing before him without Jesus interceding on our behalf. Verse 13, this is a verse that Cody read last week. I didn't realize he had read it. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. He says there's two things that we've done. One is that we've forsaken him. We've turned our back on him. And two, we've turned to ourselves. Basically, here's the reality. We will forsake God or we will forsake sin. We will forsake the way of life and we'll embrace the way that leads to death. There's really only two ways. And this is what he's telling them. One, you have forsaken me, the source of the living water that satisfies. John seven, when Jesus says, I, I am the living water, come to me. Those of you who are thirsty, come to me. You'll never thirst again. Why? Because he satisfies. And as long as we drink from his fountain, we will be fulfilled. And he says in there, the second sin is that we've dug our own cisterns. We tried to make our own way. He said, but they're like broken cisterns. I think about it like a bucket with a hole in it. It's like you can pour as much as you want into it, but it all runs out. And many of us are just tired of trying to put things in the bucket. They used to try to fill it up, but it all falls to the bottom. And what God is saying is, listen, the only cistern, the only thing that's going to fulfill you is me, is me. Turn to me. Let me fill you up. Let me pour my spirit in. Those who turned and walked away, just turn back. See, God doesn't make us cover a distance, um, but he, he, he's there when we turn. But it's coming to the realization that I've trusted in other things. Many of us have no security because the things that we put our trust in aren't secure. Your security is only as good as the foundation upon which you stand. Why not put our trust in someone who is a foundation that come wind, come, come rain, come the gates of hell, whatever it may be, cannot shake that foundation. Rather than propping ourselves up on other things that are sure to fail, we come back to this place of trusting in Him. You know, life Life, the Christian life is a life of repentance. Remember, sin is a way of life. It's a direction. Repentance is a way of life. It's a direction. This is how we live. It's not that our eyes never get distracted. It's not even that we might not turn, but the reality of it is our life is lived turning back to God. It's when you lose it with your kids and your head spins around like eight times and you look like the exorcist and you go back later and you say, I'm sorry. The other day, see, here's, here's, here's some... Uh, uh, full disclosure for you, one of my biggest problems is road rage. Anybody else? Road rage, especially when you pull out in front of me and then you go like 20 miles an hour under the speed limit. It gets me so mad. And so I'm like always, I'll just, ah, right? I mean, you just, and, and so the other day I, I was like, man, I, I need help with this. And, and I realized my children see me do this. And so I told them, I was like, listen, I said, I really, I got to repent of this. I told one of my sons, I was like, I gotta, I gotta repent and, and 
turn, I said, but you know what the thing is? I don't need to focus on the road rage. I, I need to focus on Jesus. Jesus needs to have more of my heart. I need to let Jesus shape my heart so that this doesn't happen. And that's what God is saying. We focus so much on the struggle that many times we miss the answer. We focus so much on the symptom that many times we miss the cure. And God's calling us to fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith so that we can run the race he has set out before us. The last verse I'll read, and we're gonna skip down to this one, is verse 22. And this is what he tells the people. Although you wash yourself with soda and use an abundance of soap, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the Lord, the sovereign Lord. When we were in Minneapolis, I watched as over and over again, whether we went, I actually got to go into a Muslim mosque and and watch the worship service in there. I went to a Buddhist temple. I went to a Hindu temple, taught with an animist and and who had converted to Christianity. And the thing that, that gripped my heart was watching people trying to earn their way to God, watching people try to appease God. I've never in my life sensed, felt, walked in, could actually tangibly almost feel the supremacy of Christ as I watched people struggling to try to attain something that God had already given us in Christ. And as I watched that taking place, it makes me think so much of Southern Christianity because just like them, many of us, we're we're trying to clean ourselves up. We're trying to make ourselves holy. We're trying to make ourselves right. Or some of us have tried that, got got disinterested with it, um, became confused about who God is because of it. We said to heck with that. And so now we just don't even try anymore. And the reality of it is what God is telling us is not that you have no hope, but that your hope is not in what you can do. Your hope is in the God of the universe who's made a way for you to come to life and live in the fullness of life. And this is what God invites us to. Whether we're one of the people here today who it's just grown cold. See, it's grown cold because sin moves us away from the fire. We maybe we feel like we have no life, no, no, no uh, refreshing in our life. Well, guess what? It's because sin has moved us away from the life giver. The pursuit of idols, the pursuit of other things, the pursuit of sex, the pursuit of something else that'll give us that next high, the pursuit of a better image, the pursuit of a better job, the pursuit of a better house, the pursuit of a better car, the pursuit of a better boyfriend, the pursuit of a better girlfriend, the pursuit of a better husband, a better wife, better sex, whatever it is, has led us away from the life giver. And so for some of us today is a day we need to repent and come back to him. For some of us, it's a turning. It's a different way. It's not saying, listen, I I talked with a Muslim and he was telling me that the way they atone for their sins is they ask for repentance or they they repented. And I said, well, what does your repentance look like? He said, well, the first thing we do is we tell Allah that we're sorry. I said, okay, so number one, you tell him that you're sorry. He said, yes. I said, what's the second thing? He said, second, we cry over our sin. I said, okay, cry over your sin. I said, what's the third thing? He said, third thing is that after we tell Allah we're sorry and after we cry over our sin, the third thing is we promise Allah we'll never do it again. I said, okay, is that it? He said, yeah, that's it. I said, all right, well, let's take this to a court, even just a human court of law. I said, let's say you go into this court of law and let's say tonight I stole a ring from you and, and out of your shop and, and then I, I, that you press charges and I go to court and I'm standing there before the judge and when he's about to pronounce his sentence, I say, judge, I'm really sorry. And then I say, judge, you know, I'll never do it again. And I even cried because I stole the ring. I said, is he still going to pronounce a sentence over me? He said, yes, of course. And I said, and so will God if we stand before him apart from Christ. But in Christ, our sin has been taken away. See, See, we couldn't clean ourselves up, but Jesus did that for us. Many of us are waiting to come to Christ until we can get one of two things, either waiting to come to Christ until we can clean ourselves up or waiting until we've had all the fun we want to have, and then we'll come to it. I would say that today is the day we need to come, whether it's to get our heart uh, 
back right with God through repentance and turning and coming back to Him or whether it's saying yes to His relationship offer that we've never said yes to before. And so here's what I want to do today is I want to close this service is I want to offer you an opportunity between you and God. One, if you've never said yes to Christ, but the Lord's speaking to your heart and you would say yes to Him today, you have an opportunity that for today to be the day of salvation, the day that this God who came to earth, left heaven and came to earth for you would become your God, your King, your Lord, your Savior, yielding everything to Him. I'm not talking about church attendance. I'm not talking about, uh, you know, goosebumps. I'm not talking about a feel-good message. I'm talking about recognizing that we have sin and yet God can take care of that sin. And maybe you've never done that. And for the first time, you would say yes to that. The second group is the people who, you know, there's just something that you've pursued that it's not from God. Maybe it's just worshiping the blessing instead of the blessing causing you to worship the King. I'm gonna invite you, you come and you come get on your face and maybe it's time to lay that down and change directions. Listen, when I pray, I'm gonna ask you, if you've never said yes to Jesus, but the Lord has spoken to your heart and you would say yes to Him today, when I pray, I'm gonna ask you that you would stand to your feet and stay where you are. Also, when I start to pray, if today, man, there's something that you need to repent of, listen, maybe the first thing we need to repent of is pride and what other people think about us coming and getting on our face before God. Maybe you need to come and let God take that away from you to turn back to Him and begin to follow Him. So I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna ask you to respond the way that God would lead you to respond today, this morning, right now. What is God speaking to your heart? Let's pray, Father, I thank you that you would move in our hearts today. Jesus, I pray that we would just respond to you, that we would come and lay our idols at your feet. God, there is none that compares to your glory. There is none that can compare to who you are. God, I pray for the person here today who, God, they're stuck in a bad relationship. I pray you give them the courage to take the steps that you want them to take. I pray, God, that you would strengthen them. Maybe this relationship's been an idol in their life. I pray that you would touch their heart and give them courage to remove it. Lord, I pray for the person with an addiction here today, God. I pray that you would touch their lives. God, I pray that we would see your glory so clearly in the glory of the gospel so clearly in what you've done for us that everything else would pale in comparison. Fix our eyes on you, God. God, I know in my heart there are people here who still need to move. We need to take this step of faith. God, would you put it in their hearts to move? The person battling God with anger, the person battling with lust, the person battling with pornography. God, would you touch their hearts today and Draw them near. God, for the person here right now who's thinking, I'm too bad for this. I, I'm too bad for God. God, would you let them see that they can never outrun your grace and that they can never be so far away that your hand of salvation couldn't reach them. Or would you just move in their hearts?